Bilingual in America. Tunei el loga fi America. Bilinguismo negli Stati Uniti. Bilingue in America. Ser bilingue en America. I'm Suzanne Lasser, and this is Bilingual in America. Today, Yarina and I are joined by Drs. Virginia Collier and Wayne Thomas, internationally known for their research on long-term school effectiveness for culturally and linguistically diverse students. Dr. Thomas is Professor Emeritus of Evaluation and Research Methodology, and Dr. Collier is Professor Emerita of Bilingual Multicultural ESL Education, both out of George Mason University. Their research on dual language education is perhaps the most well-known across the United States. Their longitudinal studies of student achievement in various types of educational programs for English language learners are considered seminal work in the field. And for Yarina and I, the two of you are truly considered dual language royalty. So welcome. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> so we wanna just jump right in. We have had so many contributions to this work, but in particular, when it comes to La Cosecha, the Cosecha Conference that's sponsored by the Dual Language Education of New Mexico, uh, what makes this conference such a gem in the dual language and multilingual learner sphere? We like it that you use the word gem. Yeah. <laughs> it is, it's extraordinary uh, because it's the only conference that focuses exclusively on dual language education in our, in our country anyway. When, so when dual language educators get together at La Cosecha, it's like, everybody's back with family and every everything's really happy and exciting and it's just a it's just a great high energy conference of networking of uh, all the administrators and teachers and and everybody connected to dual language it's it's fun it's a lot of fun <laughs> for those of us from a higher education background uh, we for years attended conferences that were essentially set up for researchers and and professors to to uh, present and show off their research and gather uh, ammunition for getting tenure at the university but uh, La Cosecha and dual language education in New Mexico have a much more of an emphasis on practitioners and on what works and how to do it. And we really like that. We have most of our publications, although we do come from, at least for a quarter of a century, from a higher education background. We were both school people before that. But even during the last 25 years, we have tried always to emphasize publications that are for practitioners. We don't necessarily always write for higher education types. And dual language education of New Mexico and La Cotecha are both really uh, into to the practitioner, the community, and parents in particular. We really like that. We think that's mm -hmm. the way to go. We wish more professional conferences were like that. And they always say, when they advertise it, they always say, this is a conference by teachers for teachers. So it's really, really practical. So for administrators and yeah, for decision is. makers and for even for school board members, we even let them yeah. in, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what you share is so important because that's where the work is happening. And right. it is, yeah. And um, we are always sending anybody who has any questions about dual language ed, we make sure they're going to come to La Cosecha. 
because that's, that's where they found out the how it's done. To, yeah, yeah. How it's done, and they found out from people who are actually doing it, and that's mm -hmm. that's very valuable. And you know, I think sometimes as educators, we forget that that this is also a science that we we try things and we adapt and we research and then we adapt and then we try again and you know and it has to be adaptable work it's always about the students who are right in front of us it's you know there is no one true way and we know that we have a pool of best practices that we can pull from but that it really has to honor the students who are in front of us yeah yeah yeah, Ginger and I, in particular, when compared to higher education folks, have always been focused on what some call action research, which is not just qualitative, but also can be quantitative. But the real difference is it's focused on doing things in education and doing them better, uh, not just doing them for the sake of doing them. So not every research conference, for example, AERA, American Educational Research Association, would probably say that they do that. But I, I think this conference and this organization, DLE and EM, does those those sorts of things much better than almost any other uh, professional organization that I can think of. Mm -hmm. And we're super excited that you are going to be at the conference this year. Yadina and I are looking forward to being there in person as well. And we want to make sure that for any of our listeners who may be unfamiliar with the Legacy Series by Fuente Press, that we identify, right, the, 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 the titles in that series. So we have Educating English Language Learners for a Transformed World, Dual Language for a Transformed World, Administrators Speak, Why Dual Language Schooling, and Transforming Secondary Education. So those five books are what we call the Legacy Series. And for any of our listeners today, who are interested in purchasing those books, we do have a discount. There's a 20% discount code that we will provide. Discount 22, and it'll be on our social media post. And we hope that individuals, districts, boards of education, administrators, teachers, really take advantage of this body of research that the two of you have collected. So why don't you share a little bit about how it became uh, or it went from one book to a whole series. <laughs> yeah, we we didn't expect that. We didn't know it was going to turn into five books, but uh, it just kind of happened as we went along. We started out with the educating English learners because we feel like the the students who are emergent bilinguals who are just starting to learn English are so much the most important group to focus on in serving their needs because they're the most at risk of all students in the United States. And yet dual language does a magnificent job of, of helping those students do exceptionally well in school in the long term. And so we just wanted to get that a point, a point across by talking about all the different models that have developed in the United States for English learners and then to guide them into why dual language is really the only thing that works really, really well to make sure that, that our students are going to graduate and thrive in their adult lives. We should but say that the, the label legacy series, we can either blame it or credit, depending on your point of view, David Rogers, the former executive oh, yes. director yeah. of dual language <laughs> education in New Mexico. He was the one that came up with that. And I must say, when I first heard legacy series, I want to 
what am I so old now that I have a legacy I have to live? <laughs> Apparently the answer is yes. So <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so responsible for that. Yeah, I have uh, two of the copies here with me, right? We I have the dual language education for a transformed world. And I must say that as you know, I, I consider myself an instructional leader. And as an in my administrative role, it was great to have that additional resource for administrators speak because when I share with colleagues in other districts who may be unfamiliar with what the benefits are, having something that really speaks directly to them has been such an asset. So mm -hmm. I, I feel that you have covered all the areas that come into question when we're talking about dual language and as you said, why it is the best model and how it does work wonders for yeah. both sets of students involved. We did with the second book, which is focused completely on dual language ed, we, we wanted to make sure we had, you know, fleshed out <laughs> looking at that particular model. And then the third book on administration of programs, we really hunted all over the country to find top-notch dual language educators who'd been doing it a long time, who could also speak from administration point of view. And then we wove their writings together. That was that was one of the most challenging writing uh, tasks. It's much easier just to write the book yourself. Trust us. It's <laughs> really tough to take other people's really good thoughts and weave them into a research-based and, uh, and we hope coherent structure. Yeah. That really taxed us, especially you. On, <laughs> and then you took primary responsibility for that. And one. then we thought we were all done. <laughs> And then the fourth book just emerged because one of the superintendents of one of the districts we've been working with a long time said, we need you to give a short version of this, you know? And so we ended up writing a, an overview of why dual language works so well and summarizing the research up to that point. And then the whole felt like it was secondary education. So that fifth book came out again with a lot of authors from other other states helping us out with, and that's that's been a major contribution to helping a lot of school districts go K through 12, pre-K through 12, as they think about it and realize, oh, we shouldn't just drop it once we've gotten to middle school level. Hello. <laughs> So for all of our books, but most especially for the secondary and uh, administrative books, we have brought our own background as educators. Ginger was a middle school uh, ESL teacher. I was a high school math and physics teacher. Bilingual social studies. Too. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, we brought our own backgrounds and our higher education research perspective uh, into the environment and tried to actively, not just passive, but actively involve as many on the ground educational practitioners who were actually doing these things like secondary dual language or were real administrators in emergent dual language programs. We didn't just talk about theoretical issues. We wanted to talk about what kinds of real world issues and concerns and solutions these people had come up with in their years of experience. Well, we don't assume that we know everything. We, we cover the research background pretty well, but <laughs> we, we really wanted to rely uh, on these people's on the ground experience. And that's exactly why we tried to involve as many of them as we could. Mm -hmm. Now, all these folks are people that are known to us. We have either worked with them or we know of them and about them professionally. So they weren't just, we didn't just go through the phone book and pick a bunch of random <laughs> names. These are people that uh, are really, uh, we know for sure, are on the ball and have a lot of good things to say. 
the the secondary book was probably the most exciting of all to us because we, even though both of us are secondary educators, we hadn't experienced dual language at secondary level. And uh, so the author, the the collaborators who were doing uh, writing, each one writing their own chapter, taught us a lot about uh, about issues that we had never thought about before about how you're going to get the enrollment you need and all these things. And they all said, every single one of the authors said, and let every single English learner, no matter what their situation, if they've never been to school, it doesn't matter. They belong in the dual language classes. And they they really pushed that issue. So that's an important message in that book. From our perspective, it's incredibly valuable for them to one, identify the important issues from sometimes from, falling into these issues, and secondly, to be able to suggest real-world solutions and demonstrate that they actually work. So I I love that. That was just a a great opportunity for us to put together and comprehensively collect and and combine distilled wisdom from people who are actually doing these things, not just talking about them theoretically. Which is huge, right? Because these people are in the trenches, as we would say, right? They... And that sometimes is hard for us to swallow when we're in the classroom. We look at research, but if there is no one who's actually walked that walk and actually shown that it can work, it's a great theory, but in practice, it may not uh, prove itself. And so having the voice of those people who have lived this and made it successful is exactly part of the reason I think that the legacy series is important. But as you said, that more programs continue to grow and the fact that you have this vast network that you can pull from across the country, I think is kind of a, a microcosm of what happens at La Cosecha. You yeah, have quite true. You know, the same opportunities. So it's, um, it's not a surprise to hear, but it, it is interesting to hear how it came about and why the books are there. So once again, um, we will have the information available for any of our listeners to take advantage of the legacy series and learn a little bit more. And as we you know, get ready for the upcoming uh, La Cosecha conference, I will let Yarina take the next part of this conversation. We know that you've dedicated spans of time, over 40 years of dedicated, committed work and your work has impacted and touched over 32 states, 15 countries, You've presented at countless conferences, and yet you you come to the work with this fresh, new awakening. So what still intrigues you most about the world of second language acquisition for multilingual learners and for dual language programs? Well, I'll start off. Uh, we love the observing and documenting and doing research on the enormously high levels of creativity among dual language teachers. These mm-hmm. folks are out there inventing new stuff and mm-hmm. testing it on, uh, in their classrooms. And we like to be there to help them look at the, the end of the year test results and those kinds of more long-term effects of what they're doing. But Dual language teachers as a group have been, we have found incredibly creative over the years and they have discovered on their own and sometimes with help from from folks like us, some very effective strategies for enhancing the learning and the long-term achievement and cognitive development of English learners and native English speakers in a two-way dual language program. 
So increased creativity, the things that we've taken note of time after time include, I have always been, and I'll use the word astounding because we actually used it in a journal article a few years back, the astounding effectiveness of dual language, the effect sizes, the statistical measures of program impact are the largest I've ever seen of any programs I've ever evaluated. I know I say that all the time, but it's true. And that alone makes dual language education way out there on the remarkable side. When you do it well, it is literally the most powerful thing you can do, not only for English learners, but also for native English speakers as well. And so that is, that's still, we, we find just really worth pointing out and emphasizing even after 40 years. I'll add to the teaching creativity that, that we discovered how, how powerful it is. Uh, the, the big aha for us was with the North Carolina research, which we spent five years collecting data and uh, Wayne analyzing 1.1 million student records every year. Basically, we had every student in the great state of North Carolina <laughs> in our computers. That's uh, 1.1 million students for each of five years. And I don't know if anybody has ever done a larger study than that. Uh, probably no one else is as crazy as we are, but we did <laughs> manage to get through it. But the biggie that came out of that, that was a new finding for us, um, we had already found it somewhat in other, other analyses too, but was that African-American students in North Carolina, and they were in large numbers in the database because um, uh, there are a lot of African-American students in North Carolina, uh, but they were among the, the lowest achievers in the state, even sometimes lower than the English learners. Um, when we looked at the data, but those in dual language were scoring above grade level. Um, and so um, uh, when we found that across many school districts in the state of North Carolina, then the state board was just absolutely thrilled. And we were we were excited because of the, the large numbers that we had to back up what we were saying. So then we had to go and interview teachers and parents and students and say, what's going on? What do you think it is? And the bottom line, most of the principals said it's the kind of teaching that happens in dual language classes. It makes the material accessible to every single student, uh, whether they were struggling in school before, they no longer are struggling because the teachers um, guide and direct in a way that uh, that makes it all, oh, I get what the teacher wants me to do, and they get excited, the kids get excited about it. And so uh, they said dual language teachers are incredible. And so that was a that was a powerful finding that, that we got from that particular study. Not everyone realizes that this is a very powerful way, not only of raising English learner scores, but also raising at risk, especially native yeah. English speaker yeah. scores. Right, right. And including uh, students with special needs. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, to me, one of the exciting things too that's happening now is that parents are waking up on bilingualism and demanding it for their kids. This is both native English speaking parents and students who come from a, a non-English speaking background. So um, families are more and more saying we want this for our children and, um, and recognizing that there's a lot of research now that shows that bilinguals outscore monolinguals on any test you give them, you know, and so, so the word is spreading, even in the United States that just in the 1990s was still in this English only mood, 
And uh, we're, we're far beyond that now. We have really, really grown to a whole new level in our society. Many of our listeners won't remember the 80s and 90s the way that we do. Oh, um, oh my God. I'm glad we're past that stage. Yucky, yucky. <laughs> Things are much better in the 21st century. Parents, as Ginger said, have realized that cognitive development is an important part of not only learning a second language, this dual language, as you folks know, goes well beyond just acquiring a second language. You're actually learning in two languages. You're acquiring the curriculum. You're mastered the curriculum in two languages. That goes way beyond taking three years of French, like I did, you know, in high school or whatever. Not that there's anything wrong with yeah. that, but dual language is a lot more than just acquiring the second language. That's good, but dual language is much more powerful than comprehensive. It must be so rewarding for you to, to have started the way you started and really chipping away at that conversation and then to see like the demand now, the, the request, the, you know, um, in something interesting that you said, even our special ed students, like that they're entitled and, and have the right to have that experience. It's, so often, Suzanne and I, when we are interviewing different folks, people are talking about their identity. This is so important to develop people's identity from the very beginning. And I, I, I really, I really appreciate what you're saying with all of this. That and that you get to witness it. You get to witness <laughs> like all this shift and all this change mm -hmm. for for better and for good. Yeah. It's been an it, enormously valuable privilege to have done just that, to have witnessed the kinds of things that have changed yeah, right. since we got started on this back in the mid-80s. And now the biggest movement is for a whole state to decide we're going to do dual language for all schools, you know, and that's happening in, in more than one state now. It, it, it started and it's a movement that spread that where the state superintendent will say, we will do this by the year, you know, 2030 or whatever. And that's happening now in Washington state. And oh, the first ones were Utah and North Carolina, and then Washington state, California, Delaware, uh, Delaware, parts of New York. Okay. <laughs> Texas is thinking that direction too. Texas is heading, heading there, Illinois, maybe. And it's just, it's just, it's a spreading movement right now that's really taking hold big time. People forget that there are upwards of 16,000 school districts in the good old USA. Mm. It's going to take a while. Right now we have what, maybe it's estimated 4,000 dual language programs, not, not districts, programs and school-based programs. It's going to take at least another decade if we can keep the ball rolling and produce enough bilingual teachers to make a substantial inroads. This is a long-term reform. Uh, one of my personal goals these days is to live long enough to see this actually happen. You know, so <laughs> I'm making plans, but one never does. Well, we are uh, going to be watching with bated breath, right, for, for that to happen. I think it's exciting even you know, just thinking about sembrando las semillas, right? That's what's happening right now. And so we definitely have to get to the, the time when we'll be able to, uh, I think, reap the benefits and our students in every state will be able to reap the benefits of, of dual language. When you were talking about the, the 80s and 90s, uh, it reminded me, we recently spoke with Jim Lyons, one of the principal authors of the, uh, the Bilingual Education Act, right? The rewriting of it. Okay. And he had talked about how the U.S. is such an arid 
climate for you know multilingualism and that it's amazing that there actually are, as you said, over 4,000 dual language programs when in this country there has not always been this understanding about the value of being bi and multilingual. Things so are changing fast. If you take a 40-year look as we have, it's night and day difference mm -hmm. from the 80s and 90s now. It really, is. it really is. I'm not saying everybody is convinced, not at all, <laughs> but compared to the kind of stiff ill-informed resistance that we encountered in the 80s and the 90s, and I emphasize ill-informed resistance, uh, people are much more informed now, and their actions uh, re represent the fact that they have superior information, and they're take making much better decisions about the education of their children. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I know we can go on and on, but yeah. um, I will yeah. also mention. Watch, we will too. <laughs> They'll have to come see you at La Cosecha for that. But I did want to mention, although not our, our our listeners can't see you, the two of you showed up to the podcast with your La Cosecha gear on, right, representing. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, it, it's just I think another testament about how dedicated you are to the conference, to the work that you do in the effectiveness of programs and to supporting future and current uh, educators and students. We've quite and literally dedicated our careers to this since the mid eighties. I mean, this is all we've really major worked in a major form worked on for the last 40 years or so. That's amazing, right? And I look forward to seeing what the, the next 40 years are, are gonna show, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This is part one of our interview with Dr. Virginia Collier and Dr. Wayne Thomas. Tune in next time as we discuss the roots of their educational careers and what their action research continues to unfold. In the meanwhile, please check out La Cosecha, the dual language conference at lacosechaconference.org. Speak your beauty. Thank you for your interest in the stories we share. By sharing, following, and liking our podcast on anchor.fm, Bilingual in America, and our Instagram blog at bilingualinamerica.podcast, you are speaking your beauty. We welcome your comments and feedback, and we appreciate your support. Follow us, like us, share us.